Father God, I'm just reminded of when Paul was released to go and minister, to start those incredible journeys, to walk it out, to walk his faith out from such a terrible background, from such a terrible history, what he did to the church. But you set him aside, Father God, and you first formed Jesus in him. My prayer today, the anointing that will quicken Kathleen this morning, is to form Jesus in us. That the world might see and hear, smell and taste and feel comfortable with us. That by this all men will know that we are his disciples, the love we have for each other. Give her much favor this morning, Father. Give her clarity. May that anointing rise up, come strong into a quickener, Father God. In Jesus' name. If, you, if you're wondering why um, Farnes is praying for me before I preach, it's because usually I preach and then the church shuts down because we go into another lockdown. So the elders are, are praying under their breath. I can tell you that right now. So, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm not scared. Um, before I start, going on a bit of a journey this morning and how I want to start the journey this morning is I'd like to call up my friend Claire. She's going to give you a bit of a testimony because not only do we overcome by the power of our testimony but it builds faith and with that faith we're able to change our own circumstances and the circumstances around us. Come Claire. So this is Claire. Hi everyone, Um, so I love trees and I love nature and mountains and I've always found that God, um, well, he knows us so well and he knows how to get our attention if we're willing to listen. So this little story I've got to tell, I hope will encourage you, but um, it's it's about a tree. (laughs) Um, I was sitting outside late late in the afternoon a couple of weeks ago and we have a tree in our garden. and I was just looking at it and wondering, what, we're well into spring now, and I haven't seen any life in the tree. All the other trees have come to life. They've, um, there's little flowers, there's buds, there's leaves, there's life. But this, this guy, just nothing. And this was literally two weeks ago. Um, and I'd first noticed the lack of leaves um, probably a couple of weeks before. And I actually remember Kathleen even saying, it's dead, it's dead. <laughs> And I just thought, no, I don't get the sense it's dead. I didn't see any like rot or disease. So anyway, so back to uh, last week, just sitting there pondering. It was early in the evening and I was looking at this tree and um, I, I, I kept sort of looking at it and wondering if God may be talking to me. So I decided to ask him if he might be trying to say something to me um, or, you know, something he wanted to let me know through this tree. Um, and I, again, I just love that the God Almighty, the creator of the universe, he knows me personally so well that he would use something that he knew would instantly get my attention. Um, so I felt, uh, after looking at the tree for a long time, that um, God prompted me to just look up and research why some trees um, why some trees may miss their cue and not start budding. And what I found out really made me a marvel at the greatness and care of God and how he designed a way for even trees to 
flourish after a tough season. So here's what I found out, that trees can be delayed from blooming when they have been through a particularly harsh winter, um, which can often cause bud death, which then forces the tree to develop new replacement buds, but it's this that takes time to do. So instead of the tree budding on cue, like the rest of them, and having just the buds that survived that harsh winter to bear leaves, it delays the whole process so that it can replace all the buds, ensuring a full canopy of leaves are produced and a thriving season ahead, bearing much fruit, um, sometimes literally. So with that, clearly, uh, with that delay brings the assurance of an abundant season ahead that will nurture it and, and sustain it. Um, and if you glanced at the tree, you could have easily just thought um, that all was lost, that there really is no life or hope, um, that the tree's done for. And I, f I really felt that that represented where many of us have been in this last season. Um, we've walked through some really tough, harsh times. We've had a harsh, harsh winter. And it stripped us, um, and it's left us pretty bare. Um, I know many of us have lost loved ones. I, I personally have as well. We've, we've we weathered and worn down, and we've got nothing to show. Um, people, we've lost dreams, hopes, everything. Um, and for me personally, this delay, <laughs> and I've been stuck in a long delay, has been extremely painful. Um, it's been heartbreaking. It's taken a lot from me. It's taken a lot from my family. Um, but in that time of delay, just like the tree, God has poured out so much into me to restore all the buds that were lost in the harsh season. And that's what he does. He doesn't just let you limp along into the next season with what you've got left and hope that you're going to find some sort of happy place in abundance. He replaces and restores absolutely everything. And he pours into you and he nurtures you and he restores you and brings you back to life again so that you will have an abundant season. Um, and he doesn't want us to just wither and die because of the pain that we've walked through. That's just not who he is. And so I just, um, I just felt that I wanted to share that. Um, there was something else I wanted to say. Wait. <laughs> this is the abundant life that God has called us to, um, where we have full canopies of leaves and not just partial, uh, partial canopies that will not sustain us. And he does this so that we can walk in the fullness and purpose of the life he set before us. And believe you me, we're in for, we're in for a good season ahead. It's not doom and gloom. Um, our trees may have been delayed in bringing forth new buds, but we are going to have an abundance of buds. It's going to carry us through to the next season. And I want you to be encouraged by that because it does look doomy, a doom and gloom everywhere you look. It just looks lifeless. And, and then personally, Kathleen asked me to just share. I thought I could just end it there with the tree. But um, <laughs> she, uh, th that day that I actually shared my tree story with Kathleen and how I felt it represented us as well, um, I, we've been stuck, um, we're well not really stuck, I mean, I am from here, but we, ha we had planned to immigrate to New Zealand last year in April, mid-April. Everything was set, um, you know, we'd sacrificed so much time and energy and money, and my husband was already over there, and everything was set to go, and then COVID happened, and well, here we still are. Um, I, I, and because of it, we had to leave our home. Um, we were then um, pushed into a scenario where we had all of our stuff was in a container. We've been living without our stuff since then. 
and we moved into a furnished house, which I thought would be great for six months because we would be able to go. But as we've seen, things just keep changing. And here we are. We can't go to New Zealand. They've put a lot of um, mandates in place. Um, there's huge queues to get into their managed isolation. It's a whole thing. And it's basically, t it's basically um, causing us to not be able to even pursue that. I don't know if that's the end of it. I'll trust God there. But we've been left with no home. <laughs> the owner that owns the home we were in, um, he's from overseas. He was coming back. And um, uh, it's a furnished place. And we were just so happy to have it. But he has now decided he wants to come back for a holiday, which is fair enough, because we were only supposed to be there six months. And it's like 14 months. <laughs> So um, anyway, this is just God's greatness and his abundance. Um, I had literally nothing. There has been literally nothing to move to. Not furnished, not unfurnished. We didn't know if we should get our stuff out. It's a huge expense because it was packed for shipping. It's a made, if anyone's immigrated, they, you know it's a huge expense to get your stuff prepped and packed for shipping. So to just get it out willy-nilly is just a big old waste of money. And um, so we were, we've been looking, looking, and absolutely nothing has happened. Anyway, Kathleen and I prayed, and it was shortly after I'd shared this, the tree story. And um, I went from having nothing, and we've had to, we have to move now on the, you know, the end of this month, literally nothing, to the very next day. I had applied to two places, but there were a ton of people before me. I just thought, well, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to get that. It wasn't being negative, just realistic. Um, trusting God all the way. But the very next day, I got a call from the one house that we were dead set on, least prepared, ready. They want us. We'd made it to the top of like 15 people. And then another house we had applied for came through. The lease um, came through. We'd love you to stay. We've chosen you over the other people. And then wait for it. The people that are living in our house, this didn't help me though, <laughs> Um, she called me there, the property manager, and said, oh, you know, if this helps at all, um, the owner's not coming for another two months, so if you haven't found a place, you can still stay here for a little longer. So I went from having absolutely nothing to three different options. And I mean, isn't that just God for you? A little bit 11th hour. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he cares for us, and he knew that what we needed. Um, so just an encouragement. Don't give up hope. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. He's not going to let you down. Yeah. Come on. Can you just put that picture up of the tree? Oh, he's giving me gears at the back there. Oh, he didn't save the PowerPoint. That's it. Jesus said. Anyway, the tree now. So I felt like I was one of Job's friends. You remember one of Job's friends? I looked at this tree. I said, Claire, it's dead. It's got to go. It's got to go. And God was like, uh, no, it's not. It's very, very far from dead. Now that tree, when, and you look at it now, it looks like it's in the first phases of spring, which is a beautiful thing to see. So um, usually I like to, when a preaching roster is or, uh, put out there, I like to give myself at least like a month, you know, of solid prep time to, to get it all right. And um, if anything, God is flipping the script on absolutely everything we do and how we do it. So um, he said to me, no, you are preaching this coming Sunday, which was a week. Um, and then he, he gave me the title. Now, you must understand that when God gives you the title of your sermon, you should run because 
you see, as a, as a preacher, you, when you come up with your own titles, you can then put it all together, you see, and you can hit your sweet spots and you know where to go. When he gives you the title, guess what? This is, this is all him. And I keep hearing the Holy Spirit behind me giggling because my notes are an absolute mess and they never are. I'm very ordered in my notes. So we're just going to go on a bit of a journey this morning. The title that he gave me last week was The Clarion Call to holiness. <laughs> Sounds great. Until <laughs> you're like, what on earth do you speak about? And where does Kathleen always go firstly? I always go to the dictionary, okay? Because I like to break it down. That's the teacher in me. I want you to understand what the words mean. So a clarion is something that is brilliantly um, loud and clear. A clarion call is a strong express demand or request for action. Holiness or holy, this is great, and I found it very helpful out of the dictionary, was holy or holiness is the state of being holy. <laughs> so then I was like, right, let me find out what holiness is. What is it actually all about? I don't know if you've heard of the Bible Project. The Bible Project is a fantastic thing. Uh, these guys got together and they did these five little minute clips on different things in the Bible, from words to stories, and they do it in this, like, um, I suppose, animated form. And as I watched their one on holiness, I thought, great, and I started writing. And then I thought, you know, they say it so much better than I ever could. So before I play that, I want to just read out of 1 Peter 1, verses 13 and I'm going to go straight down to 25. And then we'll watch the video and we'll take it from there. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that is preached to you. The word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So. God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. 
What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, this the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development, this time from another prophet 
Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity and bringing everything back to life. We believe the Bible is one complete narrative, so we're making... Make a bit more sense? Holiness? Eh? It's well done, eh? It's really well done. You see, when we say the word holy or to be holy, immediately we go to moral. You've got to live morally. You cannot sin. You must do things right. You, you, and actually, holiness, is, it's so much more than that. We have been sold so short on this holiness. You know, Sheldon has, we've been cover, he's been covering accountability, quinonia, which is the fellowship between people. Not when you grab a cup of coffee, BC, before COVID, and would have a little chit-chat. That's not fellowship. Fellowship was actually feeling when somebody, one of our members is going through something, we walk through it together, you feel there's a, there's a deeper level of fellowship. And priority, what, is, what are your priorities? What, is, what are you putting first? What main thing are you making the main thing? And then he started, children started speaking about almost the narrow path. And on each side of the path, you've got one slope that slopes into license and one slope that slopes into law. And when you are traveling on the road of holiness, which is a very narrow path, and you go down the slope of license, which, it, which basically is, well, grace covers everything. It's an abuse of grace. Holiness is done on your terms. You decide what is holy. You decide when to be holy. It's all about you. When holiness slips on the, the, the slope of law and legalism, it becomes about morals, living right, and when you fail on any level, you are condemned by those around you, and then self-condemnation sets in, which leads to striving and performance, because you have to keep the mask up. The mask is slipping. <clears throat> 
how do you pursue holiness? How, how, do you even, how, do you, how do you even start that? If you'd said to me a year ago, Kathleen, you're going to go on a journey of holiness, I would have giggled because I, I had no concept of what that means. I just thought you've got to be really in touch with God and then you're super holy and like don't sin and, and don't do all that kind of thing. But it's so much more. You see, in our personal lives, when you begin to pursue him, getting closer to him, his holiness begins to purify you, and then you begin to purify those around you and your, your sphere of influence and those that you come in contact with from your family to those you work with to, the, to friends you hang out with. So a year ago, I had a breakdown. A year ago, I hit the wall at hundred and. 80 miles an hour. I hit that wall. And I remember thinking, how on earth did I get here? I've been in a charismatic, graceful church for well over 20 years. I've listened to countless preachers talk about their breakdowns. I even took notes on how not to have a breakdown. And here I am having a breakdown and feeling like the biggest failure, especially as a pastor and especially as a leader. But you know, God uses everything. And it's such a, I hate saying it, but it, it's such a, it was so true for me. My breakdown was my breakthrough. That's what it was. It was my breakthrough. I, it looked nothing like I thought a breakthrough would look. Remember, I speak a lot about breakthrough and this reality of that it is not about unicorns and rainbows and money suddenly falling from the sky. That is not breakthrough. It looks very different. It feels very different. You know, when they crossed into the promised land, it wasn't that they then went and just lay by the brook of milk and honey and it was all tra-la-la. There were still giants in the land when they had crossed over. But we forget about those giants because we actually don't want to engage. So I, in, in my year's journey, um, if you remember Steve and Diana Morris, Diana Morris about five years ago hauled me to gym. I hate gym, didn't want anything to do with gym. And she said, you're going to do a Zumba class with me. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, she's Colombian of all things. The girl can move. Her hips do things that this white girl's hips can't do, okay? <laughs> um, she drags me into Zumba class fell in love. I was going in the opposite direction to everybody else, but just having an absolute blast. Five years later, I'm there without Diana Morris now, and I have found myself surrounded by many unsaved women. And suddenly, I think it's just a pastor's way, I gather people. I've now gathered these people, and I'm going, why have I gathered these people? <laughs> Who are these people? They are so unsaved. I, okay, there's one little pastor, yeah, there is another little pastor's wife, there's another little quiet Christian in the corner, but essentially they're all unsaved. And we've been on a bit of a journey this year, we meet a lot, and you know, when you go on a journey with holiness, it's amazing the difference you can bring to people's lives. The one that I'm particularly close to, her name is Kerry, and she knows I talk about her when I preach. I mean, she is violently opposed to Christianity. And I've, I've, I've said this from the pulpit before. When, I entered, when she asked me what I did, I was like, oh, no. <sighs> because when you say pastor, then a whole lot of filters come up, and then you've got to work through the filters. So I told her I was a stripper because that seemed, 
a little bit more comfortable for her to to swallow and that was kind of my way in and over this this past year she's gone through many things she's a travel agent so life in the travel uh, industry has been rough and um, I've just kept speaking life over her whenever I'm with her no you've got this there's a way you know she will refer to the universe and so when I talked to her I said yeah the universe slash God so she she knows she's getting used to my language Anyway, we're driving to gym, and she says to me, you're not going to believe this. She said, like, I've got some really big clients that have come in, and I'm, I'm, there's a lot of money coming in for me. I said, what? I said, that is amazing. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm just feeling like I want to take a portion and help one of our other friends at gym who's struggling to pay her gym fees. She said, I just feel like I need to pay it forward. So I said to her, I said, that's brilliant because actually now you're instituting the principle of sowing and reaping. You see, once you reap, then you sow and then it opens up for you, but it's going to open up for her. And, and she's going quiet. And I said, do you know what we call that in the Christian world? I said, we call that a miracle. I said, I'm going to teach you something now, Kerry. I said, this is a miracle that's happened. Would you agree? She said, yeah, no, she agrees. Great. So I said, so what we do is when a miracle happens, we go, God is good. And she looks at me and she says, okay. And then I said, so I'm going to say God is good. And then you're going to say all the time. Okay. And then you're going to say God is good. And I'm going to say all the time. See how we in the car with my very unsaved friend. And I said, Kerry, God is good. She said, all the time. And she says, Kathleen, God is good. I said, all the time. So she goes, praise Jesus. I said, hallelujah. (laughs) She doesn't know she is steps away from the kingdom. Steps away from the kingdom. That's what a journey of holiness is. When you go through a breakdown, you go through a complete surrender because you realize you ain't got nothing. Okay, we go through most of this life thinking we've got something, that that's the backup. Well, when you go through a breakdown, you realize you have zero backup now, and you actually are left with nothing but complete and utter surrender. After the feelings of failure that I felt, and that really lingered for a long time, I started realizing this might take a really long time. Like, how much time have I got here? I'm 39. I was 39 at the time. Going into 40. We've got the church. I've achieved nothing. I've actually achieved nothing. Except my children. Okay, tick. Well done. You had kids. <sighs> what have I got now? Okay, now if this is going to take, you know, some people. Oh, great. I'll probably get to the end and then have another breakdown. Because that seems to be what the trend in the world as well. People go from breakdown to breakdown. I don't got the time for this. God, all the money. Definitely don't have the money. (laughs) Nope. Zero on the money. And then God started whispering to me, you will hit your prime time at the right time. You will hit your prime time at the right time. When you fully surrender to where he wants to take you, you will hit your prime time at the right time. The only thing the enemy had on me was you failed. If I had come into agreement with that, I wouldn't be standing here now. I probably would have. I've had a few close calls this year in terms of emotional pits that I've nearly fallen into. Some I have, and I've got very good friends and family who will quickly pull me out. But I'm 
determined that when you are walking with God and following his precepts and what he puts in your heart, you will hit your prime time at the right time. And that applies to our much older generation. You haven't passed it. We can't do this without you. Do you know that I am from a generation who was never taught what a bringing in a tongue and an interpretation is? My generation was never taught that. And I'm seeing it being lost. And my kids will know nothing about it, and I refuse. We are needed. You are needed. So as we go, as I started on this path of um, holiness that I didn't even realize I was on at the time, you start to become very aware of things. And I'm not one who'll go, oh, don't watch that. That's full of this. Or don't, do, don't listen to that. That's full of this. I'm pretty open-minded. I like to have my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world because I want to be relevant, not irrelevant. I want to know what's up. There's a program that came out on Netflix recently called Squid Games. And please, if you watched it, that's, that's absolutely fine. And I was going to watch it, and I felt the Spirit say, it's not for you. What do you mean? Like, I'm fine. I, it's not for you. And you realize when you're pursuing holiness, you have to listen to that. And every person's journey is unique and different. And where the church goes horribly wrong is we make it about morals and sin and all that kind of thing. So that if I'm not watching that and you've watched that, well, there's something wrong with you. Because I haven't watched that. I'm holier than you are. And pride comes in. And what comes with pride? Division and separation. My journey into holiness is very different from your journey into holiness. But the fact of the matter is, there is a journey. And today is an invitation to all of us. Actually, I think we passed invitation stage. Sorry, Holy Spirit just whispered that to me. You passed invitation stage. He said, you're at the call is rung out and you need to answer. <clears throat> Say it louder for the folks in the overflow. That's another thing I told Carrie. So if I say something profound, she's like, say it louder for the folks in the overflow. So I'll say it again. Now I forgot what it says. Thank you. That's community help, you see. The time of invitation is over. The call is ringing out, and this is your day to respond. Guess what? You still have a choice. He never, he never takes that away. He never takes that away. And um, his holiness will lead you into some very wild and interesting places. Just those are the, the terms and conditions, just so you know. So when you sign up for this, be sure you're going to land up with a group of Zumba girls who are wildly unsaved, say the most inappropriate things at the most inappropriate times, and yet they're bringing you the most life. Not out of you guys. You guys are more special than they are. But, you know, they bring me life. <laughs> now, I can just hear him laughing at me because my notes are just all over the show. Okay. Now, if you had to tell me, Kathleen, I have chosen to go on a journey of holiness. And I've really felt led to, it's okay for me to watch horror movies and porn. You know, I just feel that's where God is leading me. Okay, you've been lied to. 
Okay? And that's a no. And you're like, yeah, well, obviously, Kathleen. But it's not so obvious. Because if you look in the world today, what is good is called evil, and what is evil is called good. Thank you. Isaiah 5.20. Just open your Facebook. Be careful. Be very, very careful. Now, you see, I can't enter into a journey of holiness if I don't understand what this covenant is about. This covenant gives me the access to access his holiness and his holiness to overtake me so that his holiness through me overtakes a community, overtakes a city, overtakes a nation, overtakes the world. I felt a lot of faith leave the room when I said that. It's big. The call is big. We're not playing anymore. We have passed the season of great preachers that you go, oh, that was so good, and worship that leaves you with the tingles and the fuzzies, and it was just so sweet and lovely, and we lovely, it's so nice on a Sunday, and we skip into Monday, and we're like, Susan, not today, Satan. You're freaking me out, Susan. We're past that. It's gone. Susan, for me, is the new Karen, because I know a, good, a lot of good Karens. But if your name's Susan, please take no offense. Um, but we've passed that. We've, we've been saying it, right? The world is saying it. The new normal. The great reset. New world order. Guess what? Guess who came up with the great reset first? as he always does, King of kings and the Lord of lords. In 2013, the prophets started prophesying about the great reset. Not the enemy's great reset, God's great reset. That's when it started. This was planned a long time ago. And guess what? Interesting this. Um, the enemy, he can't create anything. He can only imitate or try and hijack he has hijacked something that God has placed in order for us in this generation. We are not sitting with part of the revelation. When we go back in history, you know, the Catholics, they had a revelation of the cross. That was given to them by God. And others have had certain revelations through time. We are the generation that sits here with all those revelations in one story for us. All put together, do you know how, what a luxury that is? What are you doing with it? We've been called. The clarion call has gone out. That shows those church days are over. This is serious business. You might be wondering, and we were wondering too, why, why are we not doing words in, in the worship like we usually do? I'll tell you why. <laughs> So the first Sunday, God said to me, hold the words till the end. No problem. Wherever you want to go, Lord, is where we'll go. That's how we do it at the bay. We facilitate the Spirit. We go where the Spirit leads. Why are we going there? Not entirely sure. Here we go. Anyway, <laughs> Chirpy McChirper in the front here. <laughs> anyway, the next Sunday, I'm leading and God says, no words, hold them to the end. Okay, um, absolutely, Lord, we go where you lead. You lead by the Spirit. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's not going to come across great if I keep telling people, hey, please don't bring your words now. 
Anyway, in obedience, we did it. But that Sunday, I got a little nervous. Because if I'm perfectly honest with you, as somebody who anchors a meeting, probably none of the other guys go through this. They do. Um, is that sometimes it's quite hard to navigate where the Spirit wants to go. It's a very wild place to be. And if I'm honest, there are days I have relied on one of you beautiful people to bring a word. Because then I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. There, yes, we're going in this direction. It's all going to be fine. Take that away. Oh, cook. Bach on snow. So that Sunday, the second Sunday, I could now sense like, I don't know where this is going. I have no idea. So I just gently leaned over to my husband. I said, if you feel you need to bring a directive word, you may. Please do. The floor is open. The mic is yours. Do, in other words, do something. I don't know what to do. Because <laughs> he's, he's pretty wise, actually. It's going to be fine. And it was. And then last Sunday happened. I'm going to call you out. Nathan, you did amazing. I know it's, I know, I worship you. It's not me, it's the Lord through me. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, we know. But this, this man has grown in expansion exponentially in facilitating the spirit and that moment. And I did message him and say, thank you for making my job a lot easier. But that's where we're going. This is uncharted territory. We have never been this way before. And we were discussing in the elders meeting, like, okay, what is it about the words? We just feel, and it's, God is, he's like, guys, it's the same, same, but different. It's very different. I need to just do some more training. So in the worship, when we say, like, just hold your word, please, it's not that we don't trust what you're bringing. You guys are bringing some of the most profound things that I've ever heard come out of this community because each one has a voice. Each one is prophetic in nature, and that's what we foster here. But we have to adhere to what God is saying. He's training us. Push in. Push in. Hold your words. Let them brew. Let them mature so that when delivered at the right time, they are for maximum impact. I want to briefly just go through covenant. Because when I did a bit of research on covenant, especially in biblical times, I've listened to a lot on covenant, and it's brilliant. But you know there's nine steps in biblical covenant that they used to do. And I'm going to go through each one that explains this very table. The first step, and they're not always, not always all followed in succession or in order, but this would be the general, is it would be an exchanging of coats or robes. In the Hebrew culture, a coat or a robe represented the person themselves. So when the coat or robe was offered to the person you were going into covenant with, it was like you were offering yourself. In Isaiah 61.10, we were given robes of righteousness and garments of salvation. Number two. They would take off their belt or girdle, which usually held their swords or their knives or their fighting instruments, 
offering it to the person they were going into covenant with as a protection, saying, if you are attacked, I will come and defend you. Jesus protects and provides, protect, um, uh, provides protection. Number three was the cut of the covenant. This is usually when an animal was cut in two, as, which is ooh, pretty graphic. So there's got Bess the cow. <laughs> Poor Bess. Anyway, Bess was divided in, in half, so she just went like that. And um, there was obviously lots of blood and guts. Yeah, well, we'll just go with the cow. It's very, it's in your minds now. Um, of this poor cow, Bess, and um, both parties would then pass through the middle of Bess, the cow, and um, this would signify and say, may God do to me and more if I break this covenant. Jesus was a sacrificial lamb. Then there was number four, where they would raise their right arm and mix blood. Now, I remember as, uh, I think I was about nine or ten, my BFF at the time, like my world, we were like, we're going to be blood sisters. Yes. So we were like, I think you've got to cut yourself, and then you've got to mush the bread together. Well, we were so poop scared, we couldn't even get that far. So I think God was saving me from something there. But that's quite literally what they would do. They would either cut their palm, and they would put their hands together so that the blood would intermingle which says we are becoming one with each other. To intermingle blood is to intermingle the very life of both people. And you see, Jesus was both holy and human on that cross. Then there would be the exchanging of names. They would take a part of that person's name that they were going into covenant with and add it officially to their name. Which is interesting because that's what happens in marriage. Jesus took the name of son of man and we took the name Christian. Then they said to make a scar, which I think relates to the, the cutting and the raising of arms and mixing blood. So there would be a scar left over from where they'd cut themselves. And Jesus has scars on his hands and his feet and his side. And I heard some of the, one of the most brilliant uh, pictures of this that a prophet was talking about that God had shown her was that that scar so if they were walking in the roads in biblical times and you saw your friend that you had in covenant with they would often raise their hand and the scar would be there as the reminder of their covenant and she says when we raise our arms in worship it's such a <laughs> that's where I, this is where legalism ooh, gets me People don't raise their arms in church because it's looked down upon. But when we raise our hands, she saw Jesus come to the edge of heaven and put his arms out like this with his scars to remind us of the covenant we have. That as we're reaching, he's reaching. That is remembering the covenant on whose we belong to. Then they would give the terms of the covenant. They would list all the assets and liabilities, saying, everything I have is yours, and vice versa. So if something happened to your covenant partner, they got killed, you would then be responsible for his estate, his wife, looking after his children. You would take them on as your own. 
Anybody up for that in these days? Then they would eat a memorial meal together. That's our breaking of bread. They would quite literally break bread and have a meal together. And the last thing they would do is they would plant a memorial tree and sprinkle it with the blood of, the, of Bess, the sacrificial animal. And that represents the cross. The cross was the tree with the blood left on it, sprinkled for us as a memorial. Too many people are getting stuck at the memorial. Go around the memorial, repent, stuck at the memorial. Go around the memorial, repent, stuck at... No. It's a memorial. It's a remembrance. We go, we repent, and then we move on. We move on. We advance the kingdom, the glory. That little circle thing is law and gets people stuck. It gets whole communities stuck. Whole churches are stuck doing that. There's so much more. That's a that's the taste of his glory. But he, there's the deluge of his glory. I want the deluge. I will always stop and remember what he did for me. I'm nothing without him. Absolutely nothing without him. So it's important to understand the covenant before we go, I'm on my, I'm on my road to happiness. I mean holiness. It's in my head now. I will not sing it for you. <clears throat> no. You can't enter holiness without understanding your covenant. You can't do holiness if you're going to slip down the slope of license and you decide what is holy. You can't do holiness if you slip down the, the side of law and legalism. You're going to get stuck and you're going to die. It's going to kill you. So this morning... We're going to do breaking of bread a little differently. That's the season. We're indifferent. Not indifferent. We're in a different season. Choose your grammar carefully. <laughs> we're in a different season, which requires a different response. It requires a different way of doing things. And like God said to me, same, same, but different. It's not going to be so brand new. We're not going to know what to do. We know how to hear his voice. We know how to discern the spirit. And that has to be sharpened in these times. I'm sorry, but you cannot go out there without discernment. Especially now. You will get chewed up and spat out. Discernment is what is going to help us navigate through these times. And Claire's right. We're in for some amazing days are coming. Double bloom. I mean, is that not God or is that not God? We've all been through a rough season, not more than the other. Everyone's been through it. And now it's time to bud. So how we're going to do um, it today is that I would like you to come forward when I, when I tell you, and you're going to do it on your own. I know we love to do it in our families and our groups, and there's a time and space for that. But I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want time with them one-on-one. -on -one. He wants time with your heart, one-on-one. -on -one. You'll be given a choice today. There's a lot of people with their head in the sand. A lot of people with their head in the sand. So this is your day, that you can keep your head in the sand. That's absolutely fine. You're still given a choice. But you will be left behind. 
This move of God is going to move with or without you. You've got the choice on whether you get on the bus, the train, which, whichever form of transportation we take. For some, your head has been out of the sand for a while, actually. And today you're receiving your marching orders, your next assignment. For some, your, day, your head is coming out the sand. And you're a bit nervous because you think you're going to be thrust straight onto the battlefield. And God's like, no, no, no. This is a journey. He will take you on the journey of revelation and truth. For some, you'll be taken on a journey of healing because the harshness of this past season has taken its toll. But the key is to respond. That's your choice on how you respond. So if you could, you could come up and you could just re- take your glass and your, your bread. I'm also going to ask that we, we give a little bit of time before you rush back to put your implements back, just to hold the space for the Holy Spirit. Because he wants to move. The clarion call has gone out, Bay City Church. It's not the norm anymore. It's not the way we used to do things anymore. So if you would fish, fetch your, um, your wine and your bread. ask if you stand with me it's a reverent moment before we take it I've got a short little prayer that I'd like you to repeat after me and then you're going to take it settle your glass down don't worry about it and then you're going to respond to what he's asking you to do and how he's wanting you to respond for some a response means coming to kneel in the front For some, a response is just being quiet with him. But a response is required in this season. Repeat after me. Father, I repent of all sin, known and unknown. Today I answer your clarion call with confidence because of the covenant you made with me and the finished work of the cross. Amen. Purify my heart 
going to sing this song from the top and I want you to sing it with everything you have as a declaration to what you responding to this call is. Holy, 
set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Purify my heart, cleanse me from within, make me holy and make me holy. Purify my heart, cleanse me from my sin, deep within, refine. My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be commit to you father we commit to you today as a community that we will heed your call as we go into this week knowing that we have been set free in Jesus name to pursue holiness because of the covenant father God so we thank you Lord in Jesus name amen amen be very blessed this week and don't forget who you are and give Susan a big hug rather than telling her off. All right, go for it, Bay City Church.